Father, I do thank you for just the privilege it is to stand before these men. I feel completely unqualified to talk on the topic of prayer, but Lord, I pray that you would be the one that qualifies me this morning, that it would be your words that are spoken, that it would be you that speaks to the hearts of each and every one of us here in this room. So with that in mind, we come to you, O God, availing ourselves to you. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I was also greatly encouraged by one story where I received an a, uh, email from a table leader last week saying, Pat, could you possibly reserve a room for us on Thursday? Our table would like to get together over the noon hour on Thursday and get together for the purpose of prayer. And so those are some things, you all, that when I hear stories like that, it greatly encourages me because we're taking what we're hearing in here, and we're taking it outside of this room. We're not just filling our heads with good knowledge and information, but we're trying to say, Lord, how do I apply what I'm hearing? And there's some parts today that I hope will be extremely applicable for you in your own lives. Elizabeth talked last week, and if you think about every lesson that we've heard so far on the topic of prayer, there's been a strong, strong vertical element to it where we see that prayer is our language between us and a holy God, a privilege that we do not deserve, a privilege that He has graciously given us through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm always wanting to say that prayer is that first and foremost thing, it's the vertical relationship. But even if you think about some of the ways that David talked about it, with the healing and ways that it impacts other people, the ways that our prayers go about, You think about the things that Elizabeth shared with us last week, we begin to realize that prayer also has a horizontal impact. And so today I'm going to be going back and forth a little bit with the vertical side of it and the horizontal side of it. So take with me the handout that you have on your table. I want to call your attention to two different passages. And honestly, you all, I have to tell you, it's like, well, I stumbled across some stuff in here that I really didn't want to have to address. And yet the longer I studied it, the more unqualified I felt to teach on it, but the more called I felt to say, fellas, this is what I'm seeing in this passage. Is this what you see? So the first one is something that uh, our brother Vincent shared from uh, Matthew chapter 6. And believe me, I'm not arrogant enough to think that I need to go back and correct anything that Vincent had to say but just realizing that there are times that when we look at a particular passage, we do not get to cover it all. I'm not here today to talk on the Lord's Prayer, but this is where it comes from. But I felt the need for us to look what precedes the Lord's Prayer and also what comes after it. It says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Well, again, that's pretty straightforward. It's a lot about the external. It's a lot about how I'm going to look to others in terms of the ways that I pray. And we have a terrible situation, a problem in our hearts and lives oftentimes where I'm wanting to make sure that the way even that I pray impresses other people. Being on the staff of the church, it's not uncommon if I'm at some gathering 
and I can only imagine what the ordained pastors go through, which is you look around and all of a sudden you go, yep, I know who's going to be praying at this meal. And, uh, you know, because I'm the only paid professional in the room. And sure enough, they'll look around, they'll go, Pat, would you mind opening us in prayer today? I'm like, oh, brother, there's a lot of other qualified people in here to pray. But if we're not careful, then it can set me up to say, well, you know, I'm the designated prayer. That makes me really special, whatever it might be. But this is even worse where he says you pray like the hypocrites, where it's not something that comes sincerely from your heart, but it's praying for some other motive, some other reason to be seen. He then goes on and tells us about the prayer itself. He says, and when you pray, do not heap empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. And he lays out the Lord's Prayer. And it's beautiful. And yet there's something in there, in my mind, that he sneaks into the Lord's Prayer that's fairly troubling to me. Now, I love discussion. I'm not going to bother trying to do that today. But when I look at this, it's like, I love the praise part of this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And frankly, at this point in time, if I'm not thinking right, I'm going, this is tough. I'm praying for his will, not my will. And all that sounds difficult until I keep going on. Give us this day our daily bread. Now I'm, now I'm challenged even more because I want security. I want to have the known. I don't want to have to depend on man. I want to depend on what can be seen. But that doesn't bother me. But what comes on, he says, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now, I think we might breeze over that one. Because the first part of that is wonderful. Forgive us our debts. Second part of it is a real challenge, fellas. That we would forgive our debtors. That we would forgive those who have sinned against us. We would forgive those who've wounded or hurt us. And we give a lot of intellectual assent to that, I think. We think we are good and clean with it, only to find that something gets pricked within us and all of a sudden we realize... I've still got bitterness, resentful, and perhaps the unforgiveness is still there. Now, we all know forgiveness is something that's like an onion. It has layers that continue to be peeled back. But my, my request of you today is, where do you stand as it relates to forgiving your debtors? And this is the reason that it becomes important. Because he goes on to say, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And 14 or 15 are what really brings the matter to heart. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. <clears throat> it sounds conditional, doesn't it? It sounds like he's saying, wait a minute, you know, you and I are good, but oh, by the way, unless you forgive your debtors, we're not. What is prayer? And what do I do as I stand before a holy God and as I pray the prayer that He told me to pray? And how do I make it sincere from my heart? Well, if I'm going to make it sincere from my heart, evidently I've got to forgive those who have wounded, hurt, sinned against me. 
Now, I could kind of breeze over that. But the passage that I started out with studying that I thought would be most applicable for us today was the second passage. And then if you'll allow me to tie the two together. Matthew 5, 43 through 48 says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now let me stop there. That sounds really difficult, doesn't it? Some versions would say those who abuse you. So Jesus is saying, hey, I know everybody else out in the world is saying, pray, you know, you can, uh, you can, don't worry, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But he says, not me. I'm saying you got to love your enemy. And matter of fact, I'm calling you even to pray for those who persecute you. Now, if you don't understand at this point in time, both the vertical and the horizontal impact of all this, then we're missing something. Because Jesus is calling us to look at people in a completely different way than what we normally do. And he's calling us to pray for people who persecute us. I, you know, that's not what I'm naturally inclined to do. And yet, thanks be to God, think about what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. In Luke chapter 20, uh, 24, verse 34, is that famous passage on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Those that were persecuting Him, those that were nailing Him to the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He set the example for us, and He talked to the Father about it. However, <clears throat> continue on with me, verse 45. Do this, accordingly, it says, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? And here's 48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I can't do that. I can't do that. And yet there it is. I must be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. What is it these two passages are trying to communicate to us? And here's where I go with it, guys. And I'm wondering if you can kind of affirm the direction that, that the Lord has taken me on this. If I really get the heart of the gospel, I can do this. If I really get how much I have been forgiven, I am able to forgive those who sinned against me. If I really get the heart of the gospel, I am really able to pray for those who persecute me and I'm able to love my enemies. Because why? Because I have to see myself as having a desperate need for the work of Jesus Christ that I have to see myself in such a way that what I was forgiven, how could I not forgive this? 
which takes us to that passage, you know, of the, the two, um, the, 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 the man that owed a great deal of money, and, and he goes to the, the landowner, and he owes him, it says, 10,000 talents. Now, you all have heard this taught a hundred times. And 10,000 talents, one talent is 20 years' wages. And he owed him 10,000 talents. And he had mercy upon him, and he forgave him of that. And then he walks right out the door, and a man owed him 100 denarii. One denarii is a day's wage. He owed him basically a little over three months' wages. And he, failing to realize, wait a minute, I was just forgiven this massive amount. How can I possibly go out now and try and collect a hundred days' worth of wages? And the reality for us this morning is, that's us. And when we get the heart of the gospel, it begins to change us. And so therefore, I, I, as I remember that, I am drawn to saying, how can I not pray for those who persecute me? How can I not forgive those who have trespassed against me? And so the question comes for us as we think about this topic of prayer is where the gospel fits into it and what my understanding and my belief is of the gospel. That do I really down deep believe the gospel? And here's what I want you to know. This is the little phrase that sticks in my mind. Prayer does not necessarily change me. The gospel changes me. And when the gospel changes me, it changes my prayer life. That's why I wonder, you know, when Mark says, why pray? And some of you have been sending me some stuff in, and thanks for that. And I just encourage you all to continue to provide your input about why pray. Why is it we pray anyway? And what I begin to realize is, as I understand more the depths of the gospel and what's been done for me, it's like, how can I not pray out of that deep sense of gratitude? Both for who He is, which is our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name, but also for what He's done for me. And it begins to impact my prayer life. And all of a sudden I realize that I'm not having to look out into the world and try to figure out if I'm okay. Because I already know I'm okay as I stand before a holy God. And when I'm not standing here wondering if I'm okay, now I have a different lens to be able to look at you and say, are you okay? And the gospel changes the way that I see the world around me. And the gospel then gives me a heart of compassion. And the gospel then allows me to see the needs of other people. And sometimes I'm called into that need myself. And sometimes I'm called to pray for that particular need. Because why? Because my eyes have been opened to see people in a different light. And when we're so self-absorbed, which is a, a, it's epidemic in our society today, we can justify a lot of things. I can miss a thousand things that are going on with other people. Because why? Because my focus is not on anybody else, 
but it is squarely upon myself. Now, I want to try to transition for us here just a little bit. And if you'll read with me in Matthew, excuse me, Acts chapter 20. He says, and when they had said these things, he knelt down and prayed for them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they, had not, they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Now, I'm going to be honest and say, I pulled something out of this passage. I hope I'm not taking license. But you see an element of community that exists here. And you see heartbroken people over the fact that Paul has told them, I've got to go on to Jerusalem and Rome, and I know that my ultimate destiny here is death. And you are not going to see me again. And they prayed with him, but as they did, their hearts were drawn out of them. And so we see the vertical of the sense of prayer, but we see the horizontal of the community that was around them. We see that they wept because they realized they weren't going to see Paul anymore. And yet they joined with him in it. And I love the part that even despite that, they took him to the ship, they accompanied to the ship and sent him off. Now, what does that have to do with us this morning? There's all sorts of verses that I've laid out for you below about how Paul prayed for the people that he had met, the people that he had poured his life into, the people that he had really engaged with in a level that was developing the early church, and it's largely the work of the Holy Spirit, obviously, but why we sit here today. What he was doing was critical, but involved in it was relationships and relationships that created a love that sometimes made it painful to be engaged in that relationship. And so when we take on the topic of prayer, it leads me to a really interesting place that I want us to give some thought to this morning. And I wonder if we really have the ears to hear not just the prayer request, but even the prayer that's beneath it. And so let me give you two examples of this this morning. Many of you remember about three or four months ago, Robbie Higginbottom uh, gave a great ser uh, sermon that was on suffering. And I thought Robbie did a great job with it. But in it, he told a story. And the story was about a young man, 25 years old, by the name of William Borden. And William Borden was, a family of, was from a family of great wealth. And somewhere, I guess, in the, this happened in the 20s, but somewhere in his college life, he had a profound encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the result of that was that he decided he wanted to give his life to the call of missions to the Lord. And he felt a specific calling to the nation of China. Now, this is where I thought maybe I need to go and double check Robbie on his story. But he went to Egypt to learn the language for China. Okay. 
If you remember the story, at age 25, into his language school, William Borden concocted a disease and died. And we're left there to go, what the heck? What's that all about? And the story was profound, hopefully, for all of us that were in the room. But some of you don't know my story. And I have a daughter in the country of Oman right now, which is in the Middle East. And for the past seven years, she has felt a calling to that nation. And a year and a half ago, she moved there with five other people. She's in language school right now. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting out there, and I'm not really thinking about William Borden, to tell you the truth. And I'm not really thinking too much about what Robbie's saying, although somehow I did reset. But I'm thinking about my daughter. And let me add one other little thing to it. At that point in time, she had had the flu for three weeks. So I'm thinking, what if this isn't the flu? Now, I, I, at the 11 o'clock hour, I, I have the privilege of being a part of a wonderful community called the Shepherd of the Souls Sunday School class. So I go to the Sunday School class, and I tell them basically what I just told you. No fault of them, but when the prayer request was prayed for, they prayed for Catherine and her flu. Valid prayer request. They missed me completely. Because you had a dad that was bordering on some real fear and unbelief and some angst about, God, surely you're not going to take my daughter home. And I wonder, fellas, what does it take for us to not just hear the prayer, but to hear the deeper prayer request? What can get missed by by wanting to diligently pray for my daughter with the flu, but to miss a dad's heart and thinking about, wow, Pat, you, you, you probably are giving thought about what Mr. and Mrs. Borden felt like. And that happens, guys, at your table. As we're in here Tuesday after Tuesday, and somebody offers up a prayer request, and I'm wondering what you hear. I'm wondering if it's so perfunctory that you fail to really hear the deeper prayer request that one of the brothers sitting at the table with you has. I'm wondering, for those of you that are married, when your wife tells you about a specific prayer request, if you borderline, you're borderline dismissive of it, or that you really hear what it is she's trying to tell you. Now my second example, and I did get permission for this one, involves a dear brother of mine. And a lot of us who get the prayer request from the church, the hospital list, if you get it, you'll remember seeing last Friday, maybe it's Thursday actually, an urgent prayer request came through for Ben and Libby Smith. Their granddaughter, daughter, Adeline, a few weeks old, a few months old maybe, was at the hospital with an extremely high fever, and they were extremely concerned about her. They had rushed her to the hospital. Now, you may know Ben and Libby, but you may not know that they're Ben, Libby's mother and father, 
are Clay and Kathy Smith. And on April 16th of 2016, Clay and Kathy lost their son to an accident. I'm wondering how many of us put the pieces together and thought, oh my gosh, Lord, surely not. Surely not. Please, Lord. And praying fervently for Adeline and Ben and Libby. But if we miss praying for Clay and Kathy and Boo, what have we missed out on, guys? What have we short-circuited in the body of Christ and the privilege to walk together? But if I'm too busy, I'll miss it completely. Oh, Lord, take care of Adeline. Please help her to get better. And it's like, I've known Clay since third grade, guys. How could I not connect the dots and pray for Clay and Kathy and Boo and Laura and the rest of the family? That's why I titled this Prayer and Community. Because prayer allows us to join in with each other, but prayer also is a time that I open my heart and give you an opportunity to potentially see something inside of me that it sure would be nice if you reached in and touched it. And I may not know exactly how to tell you that, but it's oftentimes in my prayers, it's like, can you hear the deeper prayer that I'm asking prayer for? Now, fellas, this isn't just about your table, but this morning I'd, I would beg you, make it about your table. And when you leave today, make it about your relationships. And if you're married today, make it about your wife. And if you have children today, make it about your children. Do not simply pray only for the stated prayer request but have your antenna up to hear what the deeper prayer request might be. In that, we have the privilege and the opportunity to potentially call people out of being alone, for some people out of hiding, and back into relationship where the Lord God can move in some very mighty ways. I've given you a few questions this morning. I hope you'll take advantage of those at your table. I'm going to remind you again, we need to be out of here at 8.15. If you want to take your table outside, please feel the freedom to do that. Let me close us in prayer. Our God, we are men who long to walk out the walk perfectly. We are also men who are so frail and feeble that we cannot possibly do it without you. Oh, Lord, as my brothers gather around the table this morning, continue to minister to us, continue to hear the ache in our heart, and continue, oh, Father, just to draw us to that deeper, more intimate walk with you. And I thank you for that. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.